Greetings to each one this morning. In Jesus' name. I look around, I know a few of you, many I don't, and probably many of you don't know me. Um, that's okay. I don't really know at all what you would like to hear this morning. But I saw a lot of you come in carrying Bibles. So I believe that you'd like to hear something out of the Bible. And uh, I take courage in that. By way of introduction, my name is Ephraim Reno. My wife Saloma is here with uh, six children. We have a seventh one in heaven. We grew up older in Amish. And... Um, Married, had a few children, and now I've been at Effort of Christian Fellowship for six and a half years, something like that. Um, I'm not ashamed of my heritage. I uh, appreciate my upbringing and had good parents that sought to teach me the fear of God. I'd like to share something about those years, years back, growing up. I wasn't much of a horseman. Uh, Some of my brothers were a little more. And there's one horse that really stands out in my memory. This horse was special for for a few different reasons. Uh, it wasn't my horse, my older brother's, and I didn't appreciate her enough at the time. She was a fun horse. She was energetic, quick, very responsive, very obedient, and she knew what all, she knew why obedience was very important to her, to everyone. She totally depended on the driver, had no agenda of her own. She was virtuous, if ever the horse, a horse was virtuous. And there's a reason why I'm saying all this, because this horse was totally blind. As far as we could tell, she was totally blind. Something happened uh, while my brother had him, her, as a mare. She was a seeing horse at one time, but... She got a disease in her eyes and eventually she couldn't see. Not at all. But it was amazing how well you could get somewhere with her. She knew the slightest little pull on the line, just how much to change direction. Like blind people do also, she used her other senses very, very much. And one of those was her hearing. Those ears were amazing when you were driving down the road. Always perked up, forward, back, going this way and that way, just taking in everything she could. Make the smallest sound and, and the ears just swivel back just like that to pick it up. Like that horse, I would want us to have our ears turned 
to the Master. To the message that God has for us this morning. I have a message for you. It's not my message. It's God's message. He sent it to the earth with a whole multitude of angels. And you can open with me to Luke chapter 2. I've been studying this passage quite a bit lately and have found a lot of inspiration. When I think about it, I think uh, it's possible that Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, it's possible that sometimes those scriptures get a little bit obscured with our Christmas um, what do you want to call it? Glamour? Uh, I, I don't know. We don't really at our house do anything big for Christmas, but we kind of categorize things too much sometimes, and maybe you're not guilty of it. Maybe it's just me. But what I would like to see is that we don't, Christmas time comes around, we preach out of these scriptures, and then put it away again. We put it up on a shelf somewhere, and next Christmas time we bring it out again to think about it. Anyways, uh, Luke chapter 2, why don't we stand to our feet, those of us that can, and open with prayer. God our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for truth, for life, for peace, for joy in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for these dear people here. For this time this morning. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to be all that He is, a great God, what a great God you are. Teach us about yourself this morning. You know my frailty and my scatteredness and my feebleness. Help me to speak your words, to minister life. We bless you. We thank you. You are good. And we've been very blessed by you. You've been very gracious to us. Not because of who we are or us deserving anything, but because you are love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. I'm going to read Luke 2, 1 down through verse 20. And my central text this morning is chapter, excuse me, verse 
14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And along with that, verse 10 and 11 also, 12. Let's begin reading verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had, that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now bear with me a little bit. I find it a little bit specially challenging to preach an exegetical message. I feel like I'm just being a little scattered, going here and going there. And I try to have a central theme. Uh, I was encouraged meditating on the fact that Jesus Christ is in all truth. He is at the center of all truth, he holds everything together by the word of his power. And as long as we are preaching the truth, Jesus Christ is there. So, I trust that it can be that way this morning. A definition of glory, giving glory to God. Back to verse 14 there, glory to God in the highest. The definition being giving adoration giving praise, worshiping, giving thankfulness, giving thanks to God. Most of these things are done with our mouth, but our heart must be in it, must come from a genuine heart of love. But one example that may not have been that way 
was found is found in Joshua chapter 7 verse 19. I'm going to just go there in my Bible, make sure I get the right context and all. Achan had stolen that Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold. He had hidden it in his tent, thinking that he was going to get away with it. Thinking he could hide this from the people. And at some future time, bring it out and everything would be alright. The battle of Ai, they got defeated. Joshua fell on his face before the Lord in desperation. The Lord said, they're sent in the camp. You need to find out where it is. And they brought the tribes one by one. They brought the families one by one. Came down to Achan. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the God of heaven. I'm not reading that right. Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. And make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. I see out of that that to give glory to God, we put him in his rightful place. We acknowledge who he is. We acknowledge his all-seeing eye. His all-knowingness. His being everywhere. And we confess him as such. The angels were giving glory to God. May we do the same. Back up to the beginning of the chapter, the taxing that was going on, and this taxing was not one of going to pay their income tax or pay their their money, whatever it was, but rather that of entering into a register or records. Caesar Augustus wanted to know how many people there were, who they were, where they were, what they did, and all those things. And Joseph, because he was of the house of David, he went up to Bethlehem. And they went to the office. They got registered. Entered their names into the records. And while they were there, Mary reached her full time that she should be delivered from her, with her child. There was no room for them in the inn. So they went and found a barn somewhere, laid him in the manger when he was born, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only baby that ever got to decide where he was going to be born. Into which family and where it was going to be. And he chose the manger. What a lowly place to be laid. 
in that manger, in the barn. Probably wasn't very clean. Just out there in the barn with the animals, with the spiders, everything else that was there. His humanity was very real. His humility was very real. I'd like to look at some of the prophecies that were fulfilled right here. And I'm going to just cite the New Testament citations of these prophecies. The first one is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So he was going to be coming out of Bethlehem. And we find that fulfilled. And then, just going down to verse 15 in Matthew chapter 2. And there was the death of Herod. I'm just jumping in there, just giving you the one verse. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And then going on down to 23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. This is after they came back from Egypt. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, He shall be a Nazarene. Now, if if there were scribes and students of the Word that understood all these prophecies, they would have faced a dilemma, would they not? How is he going to come out of Bethlehem and going to come out of Egypt and going to come out of Nazareth all at the same time? That seems like a dilemma. Well, here, he was born in Bethlehem. And we know the story later on. Joseph and Mary went to Egypt, fled the king, with Jesus, to try to save his life because the wicked king was seeking him, seeking him to, to get rid of him. And then they came back after the king was dead and they went to Nazareth. And just like that, all those three are fulfilled. Sometimes we get kind of wrapped up with how it's going to be when Jesus comes again the second time. That's okay. We can. We should be studying the Word. We should be studying into it, looking into it, see what we can learn. So when things come to pass, we, we, under, we have an understanding. But if there's things that perplex us, that it doesn't seem like it could be that and it could be this and it could be that, all at the same time. Take courage. The Lord has wondrous ways to fulfill all the prophecies. The angel's proclamation here Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We live in the year 2015. In the year of the Lord, 2015. And I don't know, I, I understand there could be a slight mistake whenever they calculate this that possibly it's been 2019 years or something since he was born. But there's a scripture in Isaiah about the year of the Lord. And then Jesus came on the scene and he proclaimed the year of the Lord. B.C., as we use it now, concerning years, B.C. being before Christ and A.D. being Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of the Lord. I'm fascinated with just how all over the world it's accepted that we're living in 2015. And what's 2015 about? 2015 years since Christ was born. Just that silent testimony for all that have any understanding to see that. And then there's some ungodly men that would like to change that and change it from B.C. and A.D. to B.C. and B.C. B.C.E. and B.C. being before common era and I should have written all that down. It might be BCE and ACE, but I'm thinking that's not right. But anyways, it doesn't really matter. But they're not going to get much accomplished. It's still 2015. And Jesus Christ still brought in a new era when he came. He did. Hallelujah. Peace on earth, we find in 14. And on earth, peace. Where is that peace? Where was it at the destruction of Jerusalem? Seventy years later. Where was it down through the ages when all the wars were fought. All the persecution taking place. Where is it today in the Middle East with all the fighting? The Jews were looking for a king that would come and bring peace. Deliver them from the Roman Empire. This language was probably very well understood to them. They were looking for a savior. That word savior is not a, was not a new concept to them. In Judges, two sixteen, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. There came times where they found themselves in the hands of the enemies. And God sent judges. 
And he said deliverer. Sometimes it's deliverer. And if you follow that, whenever you see the word Savior in the Old Testament, it's the same as the, as the one that was sometimes translated to deliverer. So they were used to being in, in, if you look back through the ages, there was time and time and time again where they were in bondage to another country, another kingdom. And time and time again they repented, cried out to the Lord, and He sent a Savior to deliver them. And they were earnestly desiring this in this time and day. They were in heavy bondage to Rome. There was lots of zealots in the land that would have just loved to rise up with a new king and start a war and get get this deliverance from Rome. I'm guessing the shepherds weren't some of those, weren't of the zealots. It doesn't seem like a shepherd and a zealot would go real, real well together. But this wasn't new language. Let's go back again to verse 10. The angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That I bring you good tidings. That Greek word is simply translated into I preach many times. Euangelizo is the Greek word. I grew up for a lot of years having a rather negative view of preaching. And I heard others having the same thing. Uh, You heard the thing of maybe if somebody exhorted somebody else that was despised, don't preach to me. The first ordination I was at, when the verdict was given who was, who was ordained, there was howling and crying and, and weeping and worse than a funeral. I don't think we had the right concept of preaching. I was used to the preacher getting up under a great burden and oh, wishing he could just take the back seat. And there's place for humility. There's a place to acknowledge our need. But when I first heard preaching coming out of charity and effort, listening to it on the phone, Spellbound. Here were preachers that loved to preach. Wow. They rejoiced in bringing the word to the people. 
They even dared say so. That was a blessing. That was captivating. Here the angel says, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And I'm sure he was very happy to bring that news. And you preachers should in the fear of God also rejoice to preach the gospel wherever you are. It doesn't have to be Sunday morning. It can be anywhere. And I I put myself there right with it. I too often uh, don't see it as the opportunity that it really is. Fear not. There's another thought that I wanted to share about preaching with joy. Here, a month ago, a little over a month ago, we were at some brethren meetings in um, Adams County. Barn meetings, they called them. And every minister had his slot to preach. And there was quite a few ministers there. Probably 11, 12. So they didn't get much time each. And you could tell some of those older seasoned preachers got up there and they really, really would have liked to just keep preaching. They had a hard time quitting. They did. They did a good job of stopping at their 10 minutes. The, the oldest one, he's probably well in his 80s, got up there and he got a rope out of his pocket and tied it around his waist and handed it back to the preacher behind him and told him that uh, due, his, due to his failing memory, he's afraid he's not going to be able to stop when it's time. Pull the rope when he's done preaching, when ten minutes are up. And uh, and he got into it. He filled that ten minutes up with quite a bit. And he stopped at ten minutes. Didn't even have to have the rope pulled. I found that inspirational. A man that old still having so much joy in preaching the Word, in being in the Word, still having such a deep love for the Word, I emulate that. Fear not, the angel said. The, the, the shepherds were sore afraid. They were. The angel said, fear not. Sometimes we hear the statement that when I get to see God, I'm going to tell Him something. Or I have this question I just want to ask Him. I want to know this. Once I get to see God, I'll you name it. Presuming no fear in the presence of God. Don't do that. Even an angel showing up we would probably be the very same as the shepherds were, sore afraid. There's a godly fear. There's a fear of God. And there's an earthly fear. There's a fleshly fear. We are exhorted over and over and over and over again in the Word to not fear. And then on the other hand, we're exhorted over and over and over and over again to fear. Fear God. Fear God. But don't fear man. Don't fear anything else. Fear God. Earthly fear 
and godly fear, I find, are quite different in nature. Now, some would want to say that to fear God isn't really fear. It's just it's a reverential awe. That might sound nice, but I don't dare say that. I think it's a fear. It's the exact same word in the Greek. But it does quite different. Its nature is quite different. The fear of man, earthly fear, fleshly fear, it paralyzes. The fear of God, it motivates. Earthly fear sickens. Stress and fear and sickens. Gives heart trouble. Wears us out. Godly fear brings health. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of God brings wisdom. The fear of man or earthly fear, fleshly fear, it drives us away from that which we fear. I'm afraid of snakes. I'll just tell you that. I saw a 10 or 12 inch one a little while ago and I didn't want to get close to it unless I just kill it and somebody else killed it for me. I get away from them. I don't, I don't like to be close to them because I'm afraid of them. But when we fear God, we draw near to Him. It's very different. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Fleshly fear will give in to evil. Godly fear departs from evil. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Can't say that about any other fear. Pursue the fear of God. Speaking of Jesus Christ as being the truth, John tells us that he came full of grace and truth. You won't find truth outside of Christ. You won't find grace outside of Christ. And all sin, you meditate on this, all sin is in one way or another a departure from, sin, from, uh, from grace and truth. You name it. Truth? What is truth? Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Truth is not merely words. The truth is, it is words, but it's that which has substance behind it to back it up. And a lot of people get truth confused with untruth because they make decisions and their decisions affect their life and the way their life gets affected, they find some good in it and they think, Oh, my decisions had some truth to it. Our decisions will affect our life. They will direct us in a certain way. But that doesn't mean just because our lives are affected or just because we have good things because we made those decisions and maybe those decisions weren't 
right and good and true, and we find some good thing in it, doesn't mean we are in the truth. The enticement to sin is always that somehow it's worth it. Remember the devil enticing Eve there in the garden and convincing her that somehow taking this forbidden fruit and the wisdom and the the knowledge of good and evil was somehow going to be worth it. I want my own way. The sinner says, I want pleasure now. We must seek a life of investment. This pleasure-seeking, I want it now mentality that so permeates the world it's not the not what God wants for us. It's not the godly life. The godly life is an investment continually. Giving up now to have more later. Giving up my pleasures now to have eternal pleasures. Giving up that which is shallow for something much deeper. Later, yes, and even now. Coming back again to verse 11, verse 10. If you're not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That all people, like I was saying earlier there, they were seeking a Savior. They were very glad to hear of a Savior coming. But never before in history was it to all people. When there was a Savior given to the Jews, it was woe unto their enemies. When Samson was given as a judge to deliver from the Philistines, it was good for the Israelites, but woe unto the Philistines. Many other examples could be given. Not so this time. Would it have been an earthly king as they were looking for? It would not have been good for the Romans. But the angel said, it shall be to all people. So the enemy was not another tribe of people. Not another group. The enemy was greater, more universal than the Romans. What is the greatest enemy? What was their greatest enemy? What has been everybody, every person, man, woman, and child's greatest enemy since the beginning of time? First Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And that the last enemy can also be taken as 
the greatest one. You can conquer all the other enemies, but you still have death. That's the greatest one. Jesus Christ. He came to deliver us from our greatest enemy, death. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the flesh, going after the flesh, is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The devil and the whole world are in the sin business. This morning, I was uh, hoping there wouldn't be frost. We were watching the weather forecast yesterday and last night, and it seemed like probably wouldn't be any frost. We got a garden out in late summer, got it out a little late. We knew it, but we thought, well, we'll take the chance. And just now, we have a lot of things that are really coming to fruition. And it's beautiful, and it's good, and it's green, and there's a lot of good eats out there. And I really don't want it to freeze up. This morning, I was getting ready for church. Looked out the window from upstairs to the roof, coming out of the lean-to behind the house, and there was frost. And it was the roof was coated with it. And I was unhappy about it. And what can I do? I quick laid everything down, went out, got the garden hose, and started watering everything down in the garden. Some of it, the one end here was was frost frosted pretty well. A lot of it wasn't, but some was definitely hit pretty hard. Well, I'll water this down the best I can, and and. Keep some water on it. Maybe I'll save it. Can I be the same diligent when sin starts to appear? I know frost kills those greens. And I know sin kills. Can I be the same diligent to drop everything and go apply the water of the Word to try to save it? Peace on earth, the angel said. We don't doubt it. We know it was a true message. Where is it? Why aren't all people rejoicing with such a good message? Why aren't all people living in peace with such good news as this? Why isn't everybody all excited about it? There's a misconception that if we can only rightly, truly, honestly, openly, accurately represent Jesus Christ, people will receive Him. And what happens if we try to do that and somebody doesn't receive it, we, we feel like we failed the Lord, we didn't represent Him rightly, we somehow we blame ourselves and, and there's just there's a, a doubting that goes on and and we can't be free in the Lord. 
John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Just a small searching of scripture will soon dispel the idea that we can make somebody receive the Lord if we just accurately portray him. Jesus himself surely accurately revealed who he was. He was the express image of the Father. And yet multitudes rejected him because they loved darkness rather than light. Where is the peace? He came as a Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Come back to that again. Which is Christ the Lord, the angel said. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. What a sign. Couldn't the angel have pulled off something to be a sign? Wasn't the angel itself a sign? What a sign. Philippians 2.8 And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Wow. How he humbled himself. Consider where he was with the Father. In heaven. With all the hosts of glory. Entering the world as a baby. In a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, helpless, needing his mother. And this was a sign for the shepherds. It wasn't going to be a glorious sign that shook the heavens, shook the earth. Something that everybody could see. That was a very peaceful scene, I'm sure. I love being in, out where the animals are. Uh, it's evening, you feed them, they're content. It's just a peaceful scene. Jesus wasn't taken up with rank and fame. He knew where the true riches are. He was fine with lying in a manger. He was fine with that. We see humility there very much. The word humble is a combination of humus Or it comes from the word humus, which is 
the fertile part of the soil. With the suffix IOE, we have the phrase down to earth. That person is so down to earth. By the way, I enjoy down to earth people. I enjoy being with somebody that's down to earth. Jesus himself revealed himself to be very down to earth. He joined the ranks of humanity. And the word human is related to the word humus and the word humble. As the earthly one, we are earthly ones. Why was there no room in the inn? Well, we could say it's probably because of the taxation and many, many people were coming in at that time. And that's probably true. I wonder if somebody would have come with a little bit higher rank, a little bit more money to pew out. I wonder if they couldn't have found a place in the inn quite well. I don't know. That's just speculation. He did meet with a rather rude welcome. Having no room, even at the end. Again, where is the peace talking about that's talked about here? Where is this Prince of Peace? I hope you found him. He is on the earth, even today. He came then. There is an element of great peace found in the kingdom of God, in the church. There is that. But we're not looking for a king that's going to deliver us from our earthly enemies. As in that as in Rome, as in our persecutors. But a king of peace that dwells in our hearts. Peace belongs to those that abide in the Lord. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. What a peaceful picture. We were hearing about consistency this morning. Consistency. We don't do it one day and not do it the next day. We heard that a good bit. That's good. We're not a branch of a vine one day and the next day we decide we aren't and the next day we decide we are again. The branch is there on the vine. It's just there. It's not jumping off and back on. It can't do that. It's there. Now there is the possibility of getting pruned off if there's no fruit. But the picture of the branch on the vine, quietly attached to the vine, content, bearing fruit, the wonderful, peaceful picture. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. He leads us in the green pastures beside the still waters. What a peaceful picture. I think where the peace really comes in And where it must start is in the heart that's delivered from sin. 
He cleanses the heart from the guilt of sin. I praise God for everybody that has experienced that. Today you can look up into the heavens and stare up into the heavens. Imagine what all is up there. Where is God? And where, where are the angels? They're up there. We just don't see them. Just look up there with longing. Longing for the Lord to appear. Come back and receive His bride. Jesus Christ. What a Lord. What a King. He takes the sinner out of the miry clay. Most of you have probably been in miry clay at some point in time in your life. And it's it's a dilemma. You're in there. You're stuck. And you try to pull your one foot up. You might be able to get it out. In the meantime, your other foot sinks down deeper. And now you put your right foot down and pull the left one up. You might get it done eventually. You didn't get very far. Now your right foot's down just as bad as it was before. I remember those days. He takes a sinner out of the miry clay of sin and sets his feet on the solid rock. Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone. He takes the burden of those that are weary and heavy laden and gives them rest. That's a weariness to try to get through a swampy, mucky place of miry clay. I was out picking blueberries in a swamp one day with my older sister and it was swampy. Most of the time you're okay kind of walking on top of the moss and the branches and everything. You got around. It was okay. But you never really knew when you were going to break down, and you never really knew how deep it was going to be. Most of us got got by all right. I was not very big back some years, and I remember that one time that I broke down through, and it was deeper than any other times I broke down. It. I don't remember if I hollered out or not. I, Probably was too scared to even make a sound. I just went down. My sister was close by. It stopped. I didn't go down to... I wasn't close to drowning. I thought I might be, but... I was stuck. I tried to get out, and I couldn't. Couldn't do it. Thankfully, my sister was there. She was older. She was stronger. And she pulled me out. Sin is that way. It's deep. It's a miry clay. And we can't pull ourselves out by ourselves. The Lord Jesus can do it. He gives the oil of joy for mourning. He gives beauty for ashes. He gives us confidence for confusion. He gives us stability in a world of relentless change. He gives us life for death. Eternal life. Life that is so sure 
that not even a hair of your head will perish. Imagine the disciples that heard that. And later on, years down the road, they were being killed. Peter hung on the cross upside down. And he remembered those words, not a hair of my head will perish. And he believed it in faith. I, I believe he did. Did his hair perish? Not in the true sense. For a short time, he got a new body. Eternal life. What a wonderful gift. Have you had eternal life? Have you experienced that Prince of Peace in your own heart, in your own life? Probably many here that have. I'm sure there are. Praise God. Some here probably haven't. Let's go to 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made unto us. Those four words stuck in the middle. Let us now go. The need for decisiveness in our own life. Those shepherds. Let us now go. We heard what the angels said. Now it's up to us. Are we going to believe? Are we going to go? Are we going to seek? We're not going to find if we don't seek. We're not going to know if we don't go. One Kings eighteen twenty one. And Elijah came unto all the people. This was up on Mount Carmel, the showdown between the prophets of Baal and himself being the prophet of God. He said, "How long halt ye between two opinions?" I don't see the angel having to say that to the shepherds. I don't see the shepherds saying that to one another. And I hope there's nobody here that needs to, needs to be asked, how long halt you between two opinions? Maybe that's where you're at. How long are you going to halt there? How long? Is there going to be a better day? Probably not. Is there even going to be another day? I can't promise you that. How long do you halt between two opinions? Let us now go. Let us seek Jesus Christ. goes on to say, And the people answered him not a word. They weren't ready. They were going to stay there. They weren't ready to take a stand. Maybe they were. They seemed to be taking a stand for Baal. But Elijah said, you're holding between two opinions. 
probably see the prophets of Baal as being out and out wicked, rebellious, blasphemers of God. I think they might have been religious people that said, well, we serve the Lord too. We serve God. What's your big problem? The word Baal means Lord, something not that distinctly different from God. But they were halting halting between two opinions. They didn't really know where they stood. They just wanted Baal. They didn't think Baal was was they didn't think there was that much of a difference. How long halt ye between two opinions? Do you think you're serving God but not the God that not that God not the God that's requiring the cross not the God that says the way is narrow you want a God that is a little more ecumenical a little more loose a little more easygoing Many of you have known the Lord Jesus, know Him as being the Prince of Peace. You have had His peace abiding within you. Maybe there was a time when you had more of the peace. Maybe there's days where you think, oh, for the good old days when I had real, genuine peace. We can lose it. Romans 14.19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Speaking to Christians, just like you. They were believers. Paul is saying, let's follow after peace. Let's not just settle with the once and done thing. Let's not settle with what we used to have. Let's follow after peace. I'm going to get a little practical about that following after peace. What is it? What are the things that might be hindering the peace of God which passeth understanding? If you haven't had faith, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is obviously keeping you back from peace. That's the first step. But if you've done that, and there's still things just not peaceful in your soul, I don't know. Maybe there are some here that are that way. That are just, not everything's quite at rest. Maybe the Lord's wanting to take you another step in your Christian life. And you're saying, no, I've gone far enough. 
You're saying, no, this used to be good enough. I had peace right here. Why do I have to go further? I have a few points here that may be keeping you back. They might be points of hindrance of experiencing the peace of God flowing through your life. Point number one. James 5.9 says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. There's no peace in condemnation. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody. Somebody that you don't want to look in the eye anymore. Somebody that you just kind of wish he would, this little hardship would happen so he'd learn a lesson and, you know, you, you have a hard time praying for him or her. Maybe there's forgiveness lacking somewhere in your life. It's quite clear in the Word that if we're not able to forgive, if there's forgiveness that needs to take place and hasn't taken place, there's not going to be peace. Something's going to be lacking. That's the way of death. Unforgiveness is the way of death. I remember a dear friend of mine just a few years ago that very obviously was unable to forgive somebody for something and it was very obvious if you were close to him. And his, his, the, the joy that had been in his life the gleam that had been in his eyes, the happy prayers that he used to pray, those things all change. And he was living with a, you could say a chip on his shoulder. Just, something wasn't right. And it was quite obvious. And I was talking to another brother and at this point, I didn't realize just how serious this was, what was going on. This other brother told me that brother so-and-so, yes, he's obviously bitter, and if he keeps going this way, it's going to kill him. He didn't say it just like that, as casually, but it's going to kill him if he continues going this way. And I'm sure my friend uh, was probably told the same thing. And uh, to this day, as far as I know, he hasn't been able to forgive. And things aren't well. Many of you probably know cases like that too. Bitterness does destroy. Unforgiveness does destroy. Don't wallow around in it. Seek forgiveness in your own life towards your... If if there's somebody that you can't forgive, go to the Lord in prayer and 
Press through till you can. Number two, perhaps you're living a life marked by the love of money. We can all fall into that very easily. It's not a small thing. Maybe your house is in unrest because of it being pierced through with many sorrows. Jesus is gently saying, sell what you have and give to the poor. And you're halting between two opinions. Maybe your life is marked by pride. And you're experiencing God's resistance in your life. You desire grace and peace. But the flesh refuses to humble itself. We all live in the flesh. And as far as we are in our bodies, we have the flesh to deal with. We have pride to deal with. It seems like I have had a tremendous root of it to deal with in my life, not because I had anything to be proud of, but the flesh wants to be proud. The devil, just as he's a father of lies, he's also a father of pride. We see it before he was cast out of heaven. Very proud. Trying to work his way against authority up above God. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And I used to pray a lot, God, humble me. And that's probably right to pray that. But I came to realize the Bible says, humble yourself. You, humble yourself. I'm still working at it. But maybe that's an area that you don't have the peace that you could. Maybe you can't control your tongue. You're finding your tongue to be an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. You find that no man can tame your tongue, not even yourself. The people you love get hurt by it. The stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but the fool's wrath is heavier than them both. The other day, my son and I were out along the driveway digging out big stones that were kind of up a little too high and the lawnmower was catching them and went out with a skid loader and picked them out. I didn't didn't know there was any really big stones in there, but some of those I, I came to start digging them out and they weren't just these little things that you could see the top. You dug down and you dug down, you dug down, you dug down. And finally, you got underneath and pried the thing out, and it was 50 times bigger than just what you saw. And most of them I could pick up. There was this one that I, there was no way I could pick it up. I was able to scoop it up with a skid steer. But as I was, I was picking those little stones up, big stones, but not that big, most of them, I was surprised at how heavy they were. A stone is heavy, the Bible says. But then it goes on to say that the fool's wrath is heavier than stone or sand. 
It's heavier than that. It, it, it Heaviness weighs people down. Picking those stones up. I wish I wouldn't have to do it. In my back complained and took a little while to get over it. I was thinking about anger. How that is even heavier. That weighs us down. Weighs those down that are affected by it. Pulls people down. Perhaps there's unconfessed moral failure in your life and your soul is at unrest. You're seeking to keep it hidden. You're thinking it's not that big. It's not going to happen again. Everything will go on all right, but there's unrest. I've been there, my friends. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proverbs 28.13 Maybe you're at unrest with just the way God made you. Just your physical makeup. I had a very dear brother that uh, didn't like the nose that God gave him. He's, I remember him struggling with it. He would stand by the mirror and just try to kind of work it in a little bit. But he got over it. It was fine once he realized it's okay. It, it doesn't hurt anything to have a big nose. Maybe you don't like your freckles. Or you're, you're too tall. Or maybe you're too short. Maybe you'd like to lose weight. Maybe you wish you could gain some. There's a lot of rest in just receiving yourself the way God made you. There's a certain place for doing what we can to be good stewards of our bodies. But there's also a lot of room to receive ourselves the way God made us, with the gifts that He gave us, or the lack thereof, that we all have our gifts. Many of you, I'm sure, have more than some of us. But God didn't make any mistakes. This is also one of the things that we can do to make peace in our own hearts. Will you say with the shepherds, let us now go. I thought of going through the Bible and taking some promises out and the promises with conditions. And, but there's so many I didn't know where to go to and where to start and where to stop. You, you take your own. You know the ones that you're up against. You probably do. You probably know the one that you'd really like to conquer. The one that you just haven't 
than able to do. And there's another, there's another step to climb. New heights I gain every day, we like to say. Is it true? Are we gaining new heights every day? Let's do it. Let us now go. Let's take the Lord's Word in faith. Believe it. Believe it's for me, it's for you. Those that we know that we haven't conquered yet, press into it, pursue it. Gain those new heights. I asked you a lot of questions, and I'm receiving those questions to myself too. The Lord's been speaking to me in a lot of these things. You won't have to answer to me. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You're not accountable to me. Not at all. But we're all accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thanks for the invitation to come and thanks for listening. I'll hand the time over to the moderator.